Welcome to Everything True Detective, our final podcast on season two of True Detective. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko, and we are going to uh, put Eviscerate. this put this dog down and talk about the season two finale of True Detective, Omega Station. Ugh. When I saw, I, and I don't look at the, you know, like next episode or whatever. Yeah. When I saw this is called Omega Station, mm-hmm. I for real thought, oh, this is like a behind the scenes. <laughs> He's calling it Omega Station because we're getting a glimpse into like headquarters. Right. Like how I made right. season two. I was like, where's the final episode? And I realized, oh, no, he he literally named it Omega Station. Right. So what did you think? Uh, Well, I mean... I I know how you felt, so I want to try and be... I didn't like it. Yeah. But I'm going to try and really work through my feelings as opposed to seeing it as just a confirmation of my feelings of the whole season. Right. Because I think this episode is has things that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. As an overall experience, though, it was not fun. I mean... That's maybe not even the term. It mm-hmm. it wasn't good. Yeah. Well, the opening the opening twenty minutes maybe is just flat out terrible. Two. Yeah. You mean the opening two conversations? Right. Exactly. The the Ray and Annie montage, whatever you want to call it, is terrible. And the uh, Frank and Jordan thing is just like insane right it just yeah. is like it's it's indescribable like it just is so weird to me it was it was really bad um and just on top of that besides just being bad like i just thought and this is the worst part for me especially in a finale and especially after the considering the episode they were following which i thought was decent is those two sequences were just really boring right it just is like why are you taking so much time out of your finale to to do this? Like, I feel like these scenes should have been put into either a last week's episode mm-hmm. or they should have been pared down to oh, the yeah. absolute bare minimum that you needed. Yeah. So the, that opening was really the only major issues I had with the show. And considering that this last episode was 90 minutes long, it's kind of a big deal. Like, you're... This episode, I feel like, could have very easily just been a regular 60-minute episode. There's no reason for oh, this yeah. to be 90 minutes long. Yeah, I mean, that that was the first thing I was asking about. I think that's a superficial criticism, but I think it's a valid one to just say, does this thing need to be as long as it is? Mm-hmm. And if you ask yourself, does this need to be 90 minutes? Absolutely not, especially not with what they decide to focus on. Right. There is something in this episode that I really did like their attempt on. I don't think that they really executed anything that they attempted well in mm-hmm. this episode, but there are some ideas that I appreciate they they tried. Uh, and they could have spent more time on those other things, but instead, no, the opening is just too extremely long, extremely boring mm-hmm. conversations that do nothing for the characters. Right. And they're like the epitome of this season where it's like, yeah, it's like Annie and Ray are whisper talking to each other and being really super dramatic. Right. Like he's sleeping and Annie's yeah. up smoking. Then Annie's sleeping and he's up running his fingers through his hair. Right. Remembering. Yeah. Well, at the same time, not growing at all. He's still talking about, oh, I killed the wrong guy. Right. Well, and I love how Annie's like, look, there are a lot of cultures out there that wouldn't judge you. <laughs> he's like. It wasn't the right guy. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you did what you had to do or whatever it is, you know? And it's like, okay, guys. So they didn't, they didn't resolve anything. They're just like, yeah, I killed a guy. But apparently that's enough to make them fall madly in love with each other. Oh. And then you have uh, Frank. It's one for the ages. Right. Frank and Jordan who are like, 
they're basically like straight from a soap opera, right? That's oh, yeah. what their exchanges are. You think are. I care about a ring? <laughs> the, the, the look on Vince Vaughn's face when she throws the ring is like, uh-huh. that's, that's a gif moment. <laughs> right. If we have any listener who is able to make a gif, yeah. please make one of his eyes widening and then like... <laughs> There's a big diamond on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Where did you just fall in out of? You right. know, you just spent the last 10 minutes being like, look, honey, I don't love you. Right. Get away from me. I'm bad news. <laughs> you're bad news. I hate you. And yeah. then you're like, oh, there's a big diamond. <laughs> what kind of yeah. a character moment was that? Yeah. Um, so following that, so outside of that, we have some, of course, major things that happen. It's the finale. So I think chronologically, the first thing that happens is the meetup at the train station, right? So um, uh, Ray and Annie. You're on it. You're Ray and it. Annie yeah. go to the Birdman's house, uh-huh. who for whatever reason has all of his uh, murderous stuff. paraphernalia <laughs> just sitting out in the open for anybody to see through the window. He hoisted the bird head like on a shelf, like he's very, right. very and he's handcuffed his sister. Right. So they find the sister who's been handcuffed. She tells them that he's planning on killing. The chief of police. Yeah, what was his name? I can't remember his name now. It doesn't matter. Holloway at the when they meet up at the train station. Annie takes her to the bus station. Ray heads to the train station. Um, and they have a confrontation. Well, yeah, he sneaks up behind. Which what was book. Ray's oh, plan? Oh, well, and and look, the moment when Ray puts it together, didn't you feel like that was kind of like a like a bolt of lightning out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's he's like, Oh, remember that, uh, movie set we were at month. Like it's now 66 days past the shootout. Yeah. And when did they go to the movie set? I mean, that, that grip must've made a real impression on him, you know, (laughs) to stick in his mind all this time. That was the the grip and the secretary, right? Yeah. (laughs) Just two very memorable people. (laughs) No. Yeah. And I think, it makes it makes sense, right? When you look at the story arc, it makes sense. Those two people fit into the story perfectly. Um, and that's why a lot of the people on Reddit saw it coming beforehand. But the way it's discovered by the detectives, yeah, it feels it is absolutely just like they're just sitting there doing their melodrama, mm-hmm. and then out of nowhere, Ray's just like, Hey, remember those two people from the movie set? And he's just like no. no. <laughs> and but what what it makes me think of is the they have that same moment in the first season where um Matthew McConaughey is looking at the it's no, maybe it's Woody Harrelson. One of the two are looking at the picture of the green-eyed green-eared spaghetti monster. And then out of nowhere they're just like, yeah. "Hey, wasn't there a picture of a green house we took?" But for me, in the actual episode, it felt more earned than it did in this, where it actually makes sense, right? Like, right. In the, like that makes no sense at all. Yeah. That first of all, like, look, I've painted houses before. I've painted plenty of things before. The last place I've ever gotten paint was my ears. <laughs> Why does somebody who's painting a house green have green paint only on their ears? It makes no sense, right? But it felt actually earned in the episode. Right. Whereas this, it was just was like, oh, yeah, we have to move this forward. Like, we can't spend another 20 minutes, you know, whining to each other about our past. Right. In very low voices. We have to actually go forward with the plot. Right. Yeah, that's that's that was stupid. And it, and it was after like, uh, like, I just thought it was an ironic line where they realized Woodrow is dead. Oh, yeah. And they kind of bring up, like, we should just run. And one of them's like, Woodrow never ran. Yeah. And I'm like, his whole persona is yeah. built on running from yeah. who he's from. Just, like, wait, just wait until you uh, watch season two of True Detective. Right. Then you'll understand how much he ran. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just wait till you see what you guys have done. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So then, so then they, have they the go. the confrontation and, in the train station. Right. And my question is, 
because Ray convinces the Birdman to to sit it out and let Ray sort of talk through it. But what was Ray's plan? Well, he was recording him on right. He was recording now, him, was, but like, what was his end game? Was the Birdman recording him? That was the one thing that I couldn't like. He was sitting back there. I felt like he had the he recording device sitting there. But I did want to say, like, right? You know, this guy's unhinged. He he wears bird masks to kill people. And what is the Birdman's plan? Like you, like ultimately, the Birdman loses it, and he just pulls out a big kitchen knife. Well, look. Here's the one thing that I. So again, I'm no I'm no writer. But this is one aspect that got me excited for a moment when you're dealing with Annie and Ray mm-hmm. who are now on the run and everyone's after them. I was like, who could they partner with to help them like navigate through these waters and maybe get revenge? And I was like, Birdman is doing some pretty, you know, out there murders mm-hmm. and is getting away with it. So that guy seems to be a good one to partner with because he either is working with some anonymity underneath the radar mm-hmm. or he's got a plan that he is executing like to perfection and you need to get in on that, right? Mm-hmm. Help him out. Yeah. And so for a moment I was like, oh, they're going to go with this you know, kind of like I kind of compared him um, to I don't know what's happening in my brain. The Wire. Who is um, Omar? Omar. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's somebody who understands the game that's being played and is in some ways above it. That if you link with Omar at least for a while, mm-hmm. you can kind of skirt around some things, right? Mm-hmm. He's a good guy to to kind of be partnered with, especially if you're on a vengeance mission. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the Birdman, and he's just an unhinged kid. Right. He's, a, he's just totally crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's got a kitchen knife, and he's standing out at, at a train station. Yeah. You know? And I was like, well, way to go. Like, yeah. this was somebody who was hinted at in the first episode and turns out to be a no a literal nobody. Yeah. He can't even stab a police detective right. with a big kitchen knife. Right. Or or keep his cool to understand Ray's plan mm-hmm. is actually better than his, which is yeah, stab him with a kitchen right. knife. Right. Yeah. Um although I was I did I guess I thought it was funny. I don't know what I thought it was. I thought it was strange that as this psycho is stabbing the chief of police or a lieutenant, whatever he is, all these other cops just open fire on him. Oh yeah. And, and they, they end up shooting him and the chief of that police was like crazy. That was hilarious. <laughs> well, I remember at first they were, they were shooting and then I see him get shot. I was like, are they not going to shoot? And all of a sudden just a squib hits right on his heart. And I was like, Oh, there's, there's the heart right. shot. There you go. And and yeah, are those policemen then commended? Like, yeah, there's like seemingly no fallout who of knows? like, boys, don't shoot when the chief of police is literally <laughs> right. on being covered. What's their training like? Right. Yeah. In a hostage situation, always shoot Just through the hostage. Shoot everybody. Just shoot. <laughs> Listen, he he's a danger, so he's the priority. <laughs> Just kill everyone. If we get him, we've done our job. Right. Um, and, and during all of that, Annie shows up just in the nick of time to shoot Burris, who was about shoulder. to, sh- who was about to shoot Ray. Who, and so they run off. Here's my other problem. Ray is, <laughs> Ray is wanted at this point for murdering two cops in cold blood. And he's able to just walk into a train station with a cowboy hat on and sunglasses and be perfectly fine. Not only that, he's driving his car around. Yeah. Right? Like, that makes it... it anyways, and, and I understand that's just a necessity to move the story forward, whatever. Right. But that is ridiculous. After that, the next major thing that happens is basically the raid on the cabin by Frank and Ray, right? 
Well, no, no, no. I, I want to address a few things before because you have, you know, Frank reaching out to the club owner, the lady with the scars right. mm-hmm. he's rang, signing everything over to. And Frank's arsenal is laid out. So his repeating shopping list has been, you know, kind of followed out to a T, apparently. And what is Frank's plan for all this? He literally cannot carry a third. That's exactly what I was going to say. What, of what he's ordered. Yeah. And he's got it all laid out. I guess he tells Ray his plan. Before we get there, though, I do want to address really quick um, a Frank's goodbye to Jordan. Mm -hmm. So Jordan, Jordan's goodbye, which is ridiculous on so many, like, and I feel like he he repeats himself Mm -hmm. because you have Jordan's goodbye and they have Annie's goodbye later on. Both of them are like his strong female characters who are both like, you know, I'm dying with you. I'm going with you. And both of them get convinced to leave <laughs> by the men that they're so right. adamant about following to their death. And I just wanted to be like, does that show the limitation of Nick Pizzolatto's imagination? That he's like, <laughs> no, this is how a strong female would react. So right. that's how I'm writing them. They yeah. both say we're not leaving and they both get convinced to leave. Right. He's like, look. I literally have no idea what to do with these women in a shootout. They have to leave. <laughs> they have to leave. A girl can't shoot a gun. Everyone knows that. No one's going to believe that. Um, so the other thing is then Jordan's goodbye. when mm-hmm. After they throw their rings mm-hmm. and Vince Vaughn sees her dedication by giving up that big diamond, ridiculous, and talks to her. There's a scene where she's getting into a car and his henchman mm-hmm. or whatever. Nails. Nails <clears throat> apparently says like what Frank did for him because this is also part of the finale where we get to see all the good things that right. Frank has done right. for the people. So before He's we the get the gangster with a heart of gold, the gangster with the heart of gold, he says, Nail says his thing. He was shot in the head with a nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick up on it yes. for the first for the first time. And then I literally reach for a drink. I go back and I see Jordan holding up like a peace sign. And then I catch the end of her mouthing something. And I was just like, that's a weird sign off. That's a weird thing to to do as your last motion to the man you love. And I was going to let it go. And I actually had to rewind it to watch it again to Mm -hmm. be like, what was she saying? Did she really say something about peace? No, she said two weeks. Right. So I end up recording a little further back and I get nail story again, mm-hmm. which a second time through, I didn't understand either. Like it was like his mouth was moving <laughs> and I couldn't understand it's the because words. He's sling blading it. He's mumbling the whole time. <laughs> and, and the stories he got hit. Yeah, he got shot in the head with a nail gun, and Frank literally put him on his shoulder and carried him out of whatever situation he was in. Basically a construction site, probably. He rescued Nails from his construction job after he got shot in the head with a nail gun, and now Nails will literally devote his life to Frank for carrying him out with a... Oh, my gosh. So... So there's that. I rewind it again. And yeah, then she says two weeks and right. says like the like the peace sign, which was that as ridiculous? Like, no, it was. And I said this to to Julia as we were watching it. She holds up two fingers and she mouths the words two weeks or yeah. only two weeks, something like that. And I turned to Julia and said, they are literally standing five feet apart and there is no other sound right now. They're not like in a busy terminal where there's a ton of noise where they couldn't hear each other. She's literally like sitting as close as we are right now. And instead of just saying two weeks or whatever. See you in two weeks. Right. She mouths it and holds it. And holds up her fingers. Why? That was was so ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay. Flash forward now. Now we're back. To the cabin raid. Yeah. And look, after Frank's generosity... Does he really have nobody but nails and this scarred up lady like <laughs> right. to stand with him and, and Ray maybe? Yeah. Like I was like, 
you know, you guys are really, I mean, talk about the foreshadowing of the end of this, which we'll get to when we get to the end of it. Way to like take all the wind out of whatever tension you've built up. By the time they're looking at their robust arsenal, yeah, I'm like, they're not living past this. Right. Like there's been too many, you know, illusions and and Pizzolatto, I guess, thinks by calling it out that he's distracting you when um, Jordan's like, give me, I've had enough of your martyr, whatever. And you're like, oh, so he's showing you like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I know what the generic thing to do here is. And it's mm-hmm. like, and you're going to do it anyway, aren't right. you? Right? Because you're, you're foreshadowing it and you right. think you're being clever. And I can see it from a million miles away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the arsenal. Mm-hmm. And then they basically grab two guns each. Right. They grab like a s- smoke grenade launcher. Smoke I guess. grenade launcher, a gas mask. And some hand automatic guns. rifles and handguns. And I was, I would say I was pleasantly surprised that the cabin raid kind of went off without a hitch. Exactly. Um, because you're expecting something bad to happen. But I don't feel like that sequence itself was executed well in terms of a filmmaking perspective. I didn't think it was particularly interesting to watch. Well, look, this is the issue again. Like, Fukunaga in... I, I think about his different raids, mm-hmm. and you have either a super long take, mm-hmm. you have a, f- uh, a still image of a guy in the super long gas mm-hmm. mask, you have that contradictory shootout from what they've said to what actually mm-hmm. happened, mm-hmm. and then you have the ending, which, in terms of the buildup, is just this sweeping camera, right, that's going around this kind of, like, constructed man, mm-hmm. you know... Um, yellow king layer Mm -hmm. you know of all these branches and stuff which is just really visually impactful then you have like smoke which is (laughs) like you could use it like fog and again i'll point you to um we talked about this movie in everything is interesting man from reno Mm -hmm. it starts with a guy driving through fog and it's just has some cinematic identity and viewpoint you can make that feel otherworldly and make the image stand out to you in some way, right? You can you can craft that scene. Mm-hmm. Instead, you have people wandering through a darkened smoke house yeah. and shooting people in the head. Right. I was also surprised with the amount of like uh scarface type shootouts in this episode, I guess like pretty much everyone is getting shot 10 to 15 times and like right. shaking their body. Like they're having a seizure. You like know? all those guys running out right. of the yeah. like Keystone cops yeah. getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately the same thing happens to Ray. It just is like, Oh, Ray's death was like yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. Right. 60s style. Uh, so after the cabin raid, which, which I like too, I want to say, I, yeah. I like, this is where I will, I will praise this episode in, in intent mm-hmm. from the final, um, uh, heist goes off without a hitch. And now we're focusing primarily on the getaway, mm-hmm. which I think is a clever, good idea. Okay, yeah. Go on. So the getaway, Frank gets trapped basically yeah and and you know okay so yeah go on frank gets trapped under no fault of his own i guess ray gets trailed because he decides to see his son one last time um and so their deaths sort of play out simultaneously where you've got frank is taken out to the desert by the mexicans Ray uh, hightails it to the forest. Yeah, Ray, despite knowing he needs cell service to upload his final voice memo to chadvelcoro at gmail.com, <laughs> goes into like the most remote, remotest woods of California where there is no cell service. Anyways, uh, for whatever reason. And the. And, and Ray's exit from his car is hilarious. Right. I want to know. <laughs> 
the choreography for that. <laughs> was he supposed to kind of run with the money back for a little longer? Because <laughs> it just looks like a wild grab and <laughs> yeah. he trips over. Was it like a faulty <laughs> zipper on there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about Frank first. Frank goes out to the desert with the Mexicans. They take, he gives them his million dollars in cash. They talk back and forth a little bit. One is suit. He doesn't give up his suit for prideful reasons and because that's where his diamonds, diamonds are at. Are. Uh, and they stab him. And thus begins his walk of death in the desert. What did you think of the sequence? I, I hate to keep doing this. Can I back up just a little sure. bit too and say, okay, what I liked was now let's focus on the getaway. Yeah. And so you're focusing on the getaway. But then what Pizzolatto does is he has them both get thwarted but they both get thwarted by two different entities so it's not just one superior kind of intelligent enemy it's two completely separate entities Mm -hmm. for whatever reason are like we need both these guys today you know and there's no clear you see what ray does you have no idea what Frank does. Was Frank sold out by the people who gave him the passports? Right. They have this kind of knowing look at one another. But then my other issue is, you. I don't care about these characters, especially when we get the, to their death scene, because, number one, they don't seem to care about their lives either to come up with a good escape plan, mm-hmm. you know, where Frank isn't... I'm not seeing, or it's not showing me him trying to do evasive moves or whatever. It's just like these people just find him. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, there, there's Frank right. trying to go under an, an overpass. Right. Let's get him there. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, how, how did they know? Yeah. When were they following him from? Did everyone know of his plan? Because there's no way anyone could have known that they were going to rip off the Russians like they did. Like he right. doesn't tip his hand at all mm-hmm. about any of that. So, and the Russians clearly didn't know. Right. So, these people found them after that heist when and where and yeah. why. So Ray made a mistake. Frank didn't see me. Frank didn't do anything. So, yeah. so it's like spend time on showing us a real getaway. People love the opening of drive mm-hmm. pretty much universally, whether they like the rest of the film or not, mm-hmm. because it sticks with a man's getaway and a clever way of escape. And it shows him doing what he's good at, right? Right. And for Ray and Frank, they pretty much, the whole episode up until that point, were saying, basically, we're not going to make it. We're not going to live. We're not going to make it. Right. You know? I'll see you later. Frank, every chance he gets is telling people, hey, if you see Jordan, tell her I love her. (laughs) And then they get to the getaway. And so, yeah, when their getaway doesn't work, I'm like, well, yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Right? Who cares? So... Yeah, when the when the random Mexicans show up, knowing every all of Frank's moves apparently, mm-hmm. and take him out to the desert and stab him, where they've already got a grave dug, <laughs> right? For whatever reason, right? And it, so, do you think the Mexicans were going to let him go if he hadn't said that? Like he instigated that final conversation where he was like, "What a." Million dollars doesn't give give me a ride into town. Mm-hmm. Had he not said that, do you think the Mexicans would have driven away and left him out there in the desert just to walk back with the? I mean, I diamond? guess so. But either way, I think the outcome, the idea is that he's dead. Either way, just because he's in the middle of the desert with no food or water. I, I don't know. I didn't get the sense that they drove him like super far like it's, enough. Yeah, it's all in the same day. Yeah, it's like true. I mean, how far can you get in the desert? going however fast they were going. Yeah. I, and he knows which way they came from. I mean, I, I just don't... I don't buy the fact that Frank wouldn't have been able to walk out. Yeah. But I don't know what Pizzolatto's saying by him saying that final line. Like, was it... You can't say, like, it's pride that got mm-hmm. him or whatever. He just... Can I get right in? It's like, no, give me your jacket. Right. <laughs> what? Where's the connection there? Right, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I I guess I chalked it up to 
stupidity? I think I chalked it up to pride. Like pride's not the exact right word for it, but I think it's close enough. Like, you know, he's a, he's just not going to let these people walk all over him, I guess. Even though he just gave him a million dollars. Even though he wants to see Jordan in her white dress <laughs> more than anything. Right. Um, so what did you think of the, of the actual sequence where he's walking through the desert? Again, with, with some visual style, it could have been something. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of myself, Dante's Inferno. I was thinking of a man kind of walking into, you know, Toad Road, like we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. everything is interesting, like the gates of hell. He's seeing all these people that he has in one way or another been involved with their death or Mm -hmm. wishing their death or whatever it is. And I like the idea of a man being either haunted by that for his afterlife or being tormented, you know, in this journey. But instead you just get your standard. I'm making it to you, baby, you know? And then she's like, you can rest Frank. Yeah. I did like the visual style of like you already have been and he's kind of already dead back there. Yeah. But I was like, oh, is this some kind of like, again, season one of True Detective spoke of some supernatural or supernatural element. Like, is this, are we now actually seeing like, this is where Frank is? He is Mm -hmm. now doomed forever to live out this you know, desert scenario to wander in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, he's just dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you, you could have again done something and yeah. you just didn't. Yeah. You just pulled back. Uh, I think speaking to that idea, I actually really liked that sequence for the most part. I thought it looked really interesting. I thought the idea of, I, I thought that him uh, hallucinating all of these basically instigators in his past, it actually made me think that he was going to will himself out of the desert. Yeah. You know what I mean? It gave me a little bit of a hope, I guess. Hope's not the right word, right. but hope. Um, but I thought the ending of it was so boneheaded where... I'm fine with him seeing his wife. Makes sense, right? But then when she's like, oh, baby, you've been dead for a long time or something. You've already fallen out. So it's just like, come on. Like, I think to your point, it could have just as easily ended with them talking to each other or hugging or whatever. And in the background, you see the dead body on the Mm -hmm. ground. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, he's already dead. And yeah. Is he just living in like a purgatory now, basically? Or hell. Yeah, or hell. Like that would have been way more interesting to me. And instead I was thinking, instead after that, he then falls down. So I'm thinking like, so did he just die twice? Like we just, wait a minute, we just saw that he was already dead. And so now who am I seeing die? You know what I mean? Like, is this supposed to be his... Of like a mental death? This is Nick Pizzolatto's most groundbreaking introduction <laughs> into the world of metaphysics. This is his metaphysical death? Yes. What am I watching? What we am each I- die <laughs> twice in Pizzolatto's um, universe. Okay. And so then, uh, okay, so uh, during all of that, we're also seeing Ray be chased through the woods, which was another confusing death to me. And I, I'll say, I thought the desert stuff looked was actually visually one of the was was visually interesting. I really liked the look of that desert sequence. I also really loved the chase through the woods, partially just because like those woods are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and seeing those gigantic trees, yeah. trees is pretty crazy. Yeah. But here's the thing that confuses me about Ray's death. There's a couple things, but here's the biggest thing. He was doing great up until that point, right? Like, he was taking guys out one at a time. He was whittling the team down. They had no idea where he was at. And then he just is like, forget it, and jumps out in front of him. Like, what was his plan? Well, no, I feel like I feel like that was him kind of 
he he gave up obviously yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, but that, that's, that's what i'm saying it's like he had no reason to give up uh, he was taking these guys out i i, I think you can make the case that he took out two guys. Right. There was a scene where you saw people moving in, and I counted like five, right. like including in the background, moving with military precision. Uh-huh. And you know he's not going to be able to to deal with all that. My my issue too is, I I generally hate chase scenes of mm. any nature in narrative because the distance between the person running the people chasing is all dependent on how far the writer wants them to be mm-hmm. or how easy he wants them to track. In reality, he he escaped uh, with enough time to like trip over the money, right, to grab a gun, a few guns and run into the woods. Yeah. In real life, and I didn't see a car pull up. Yeah. That's that to me is enough. He would have been gone. Yes. Yeah. He would have been you run a little bit, you Jig to the right, and yeah. you, you keep running that way, right. and you circle back on yourself or whatever it is. And instead, it's like he runs off into the woods, and the next scene, everyone's there like 20 feet behind him. Yeah. And you're like, so yeah. what? You know what I mean? And so I just, I can't help but shake again. Like, if you're going to focus on the getaway, focus on the getaway. Like, give us an interesting getaway. Give us something that, that, shows their mistakes that shows you know gives us hope you know for them instead with all the foreshadowing with all the talk of frank like please tell her i love her and i'll be there and i probably won't be there i was just like this this is inevitable and why did you make it so mm-hmm. inevitable right the one thing the moment that I thought was the funniest in this episode was after seeing Ray get showered with bullets. Mm-hmm. You get like <laughs> a perspective zoom to his cell phone with a delivery failure notification. And it just is like, I don't know. It just seems like such a, stupid thing to end that scene on right like like i i understand the meaning behind it but it still feels inconsequential you know what i mean because it's a cell phone notification right and i just watched this character who i'm supposed to really care about get gunned down and not only that not only did i not see did i just see him get gunned down uh, he also can't get his message delivered to his son like give there's gotta the gifts give us a break somewhere Right. We don't need like endless nihilism in this show. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, I think I think he he ended it hopeful at the end of season one. And so now it's like, here's the darkness. I yeah. the the part that I thought was the funniest was actually linked to that. It's Ray's message to his son <laughs> where yeah. he's like. You're better than every. It's, it's <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> he's talking about. Jesus. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's just like, you're better than everyone. You're better than me. I wish I was you or whatever. Yeah. I was like, this is your son who watches Friends. Oh, yeah. And Not only that, pizza. he was just like, I wish everyone was like you. Right. He just said, if everyone was as strong as you, they'd be better or something like that. He's yes. Like, wow. Oh, man. He's he, really going for it. He is going for it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he is the cult of, what's his son's name? Chad. Chad. Yeah. The cult of Chad member yeah. one. Chad doesn't even believe in himself that much, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh and his little salute at the end, I thought, again, like it goes with the peace sign of right. Jordan. And so well, like, and that is like totally out of left. Like, why is he saluting his son? Was that right. something that like well, he gave him the badge? Yeah, but still, kind of, is that like I don't know? That just doesn't like you never see. They don't salute right. at any other time in the well, season. Yeah, and you want to be season. like Chad's not going to be a person who salutes <laughs> right. for a career. Okay, let's just get that. <laughs> let's get that straight. Yeah. Um, one thing that bothered me was. I guess this idea that Ray and Frank are supposed to be redeemed. 
Like, did you get that feeling from the episode? I mean, that's definitely the idea on Reddit, at least. Well, yeah, I I mean, Jordan kind of calls it, she's like, your martyr thing. Like, he kind of sees himself. And again, gosh, Pizzolatto, with... There's a throwaway moment too when Annie and Ray are together, and Ray's like, and Frank, you know he's not a bad guy, and I was like, right. really? Right. Like you just want to like like that's your commentary on in the finale? So no, Pizzolatto and his idea is absolutely like this. This is redemption for these you know dark characters who have enough that they need to answer and pay for but they are getting a sliver of grace in their death because Ray gets it with Chad right, right. before he dies. Screw, you know, forget the message. And Frank gets it um, in showing all in saving nails, being reminded they saved, <laughs> saved nails right. and saved the other lady and, and everything. I mean, yeah. So it's a cheap, it's a cheap redemption. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to point out that they, these characters who are maybe arguably supposed to be redeemed, whatever, they've just like murdered a lot of people. (laughs) Like they're not like Ray may have may have made good by his son, I guess, but like he just murdered these people, and like maybe they're bad people, but you know what I mean? Like redemption is not. Right, not the right killing word. them. Right. The, the one thing I will say is, um, I did like the fact that uh, Frank had a line with his wife when he was hallucinating her, and she's like, "You can rest now." And he's like, "No, honey, mm-hmm. we never rest or whatever." Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually good because it made you think that had he gone down to Venezuela, he would have just. Mm-hmm. Start killing people again and <laughs> trying to rise up and create his own yeah. empire again, right? right? That there was never in his character an idea that he was going to be able to like just settle in Venezuela mm-hmm. and retire. <clears throat> so that was the one sliver where I was like, is that what Pizzolatto meant by that line? Or just that he knows he's not there to her yet. He needs to keep going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about z- having zero tie-in with season one? Uh, I guess it was expected. Was there any time? I know that he he held a shot for a while of something with a symbol on it. I forget where that was from, but is that I think it was at um the mayor's house, who's who's dead. Mm-hmm. And there's and the, oh right, there's those symbols on the folders or something. Yeah, symbols mm-hmm. on the folders, and it made me think for a second. If I cared at all, I would try and cross-reference those from symbols of the first season. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, it, like I said before in the other episodes, I feel like it would have been an interesting twist, but it was not expected. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Annie's? father not playing any further role in the show i mean he drops so many characters at the end there yeah. who are just like whatever yeah that that dad character was a total nothing yeah um he was just a red herring i guess well yeah I, and i love how you have this there's no greater corruptity than vincey right by by, by all accounts yeah but when they say they got a guy you can, you know, rest assured that that's truly the killer, right. you know, of uh, and and rapist of Ray's right. wife. Like, I, you know, I don't care that I was wrong in my prediction, mm-hmm. but to have it be so kind of like not even brought up, I was like, you know, for for Ray to not even question, I only be like, you know, the people who arrested him are all people who want you dead and screw and want right. to screw you over. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of the actual ending of the season? Uh, Annie and Jordan are in Venezuela. Annie has had Ray's child, which we've also found out that Chad is Ray's child. Um, 
and they are delivering all of the recordings and contracts and evidence to the reporter that Ray beat up earlier in the season. So how's that for tying everything together? Wasn't that reporter beaten off reporting the rest of... So this is a guy who... Apparently he's beaten so bad he moved to Venezuela (laughs) along with everyone else. And he's already been beaten off one story. (laughs) So they give him a bigger story. I wonder if that was part of the pitch. Remember that dirty cop that beat the shit out of you? Well, look at this. We want you to tell his story now. Oh, man. Like, you know, he's going to be like, oh, this is I got a 10 part series. He's going <laughs> to do part one. And then the bigger politicians are going to come after him. Right. And no other parts are going to get published. Yeah. So, you know where that's going. Right. And then I love I love nothing against the actor. But when they walk out and Annie's got the baby and um, Jordan mm-hmm. is walking matter and nails. Is looking tough. Like I got these women. I'm going to protect. Mm-hmm. I just want to be like, you three. If you don't die before you get out of this crowd, <laughs> it'll be a miracle. It'll right? be a miracle. <laughs> and no one in the crowd who kills you will actually even know who you are. They're just yeah. innocent bystanders who have fireworks. If you don't die by that, ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else? Um. No, I mean, you know, it, it, again, it makes me want to write because I'm like, you know, well, look, I think we can all pretty much agree Pizzolatto plagiarized. That's the, that to me is the craziest thing of all with this entire season is that no one seems to be addressing this idea that he basically lifted this entire story and all of the characters from a single James Elroy book. Like, that's crazy. And no one's talking about it. Well, yeah. And it, it's kind of like, I think he lifted this, but it also shows, and we kind of talked about it before, he had years to work on the first season. Yeah. But it's kind of like a home run hitter who hits like 80 home runs in a right. season or whatever. And then the next season, after being accused of steroids, comes out. And hits like 14 <laughs> and still denies of ever using steroids. Yeah. And you just want to sit there and be like, no, you uh, you use steroids, buddy. Like yeah. you, you plagiarized. I mean, with that being said, I'm fine. I would rather have him have a character like Matthew McConaughey, who's more or less reciting lines from other philosophical right, works writers, yeah. within an original story. Yes than having a story that's lifted from somewhere else with these terrible characters. Yes. So call it, does this get renewed for season three? I would say yes, because of two things. The, from what I read, the second season had better ratings than the first season. And because, uh, apparently HBO is like takes critical criticism of their shows very seriously when deciding whether or not to renew the show or whatever. But the leftovers was also criticized heavily and it did not have great ratings and it got renewed for a second season. So I would say it's definitely coming back for a third season. I wonder, do you think Nick Pizzolatto, I, I, I wonder how much of this he wants because his life can't be very good right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, his show, like, I didn't read a lot, but if you read just like headlines, yeah, people hate it. Yeah, it's not this. being treated very well. Oh, yeah. He needs to just stick to the True Detective subreddit and don't go outside of there. Right. And he'll be all right. Right. And so, I mean, I'm just like, I wonder if he wants, like, how much of this does he, does he want? Yeah. And I just imagine him... M night Shyamalaning this right. whole thing and like just going deeper and deeper into the issues that he evidenced a little bit early on that are now just like, you can't mm-hmm. get away from like, dude, you're, you're a joke. Mm-hmm. And season three, will you watch? I think 
it depends on the cast cast and crew. How about Will Ferrell, <laughs> John C. Riley? Yeah, I'd watch Is that. It too? Yeah, you're mm. already in? Yeah, I'm in. Count me. Uh, well, color, there you go, Pizzolatto. Color, color me interested. That's what you got to do. You got to shake it up. <laughs> um, yeah, so that does it for our True Detective podcast. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone that listened, to everyone that left reviews. Oh, and yeah, that last person. That's a great... If that's our last review... Yeah, so we had one more review come in. Five-star review uh, from a user named... Elaminope. I'm sure that's wrong, but yeah, you think? <laughs> I don't think somebody was like Emanenlope. Great, but it's a very, very nice review. Um, so thank you for that. And um, you sound like a caveman, Emanenlope. <laughs> Look, <laughs> you look at the name and try. You give me your best pronunciation. Do you have it. it up? Yes. I like they were going out on a squabble. <laughs> there you go. Oh shoot! It just went to something else. Oh no! There it is. Okay. Um. Yeah, let's hear it. Ilaminopi. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. That's I exactly how I just said it. No, not quicker. like a caveman. <laughs> exactly. I say quicker. Okay. So that does it for uh, our True Detective podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast and you would like something similar, we do a weekly podcast called Everything is Interesting. You can search for that in iTunes. You can go to eipodcast.com. It's there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Zs. I'm at Things Come Right. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.